So what is hell? Is it a lake of fire where the devil roams around? Is it the demon's sanctuary? Is there really hell on earth or is hell an actual lake of fire? What does eternity look like for those outside of the Christian faith? Is it ceasing to exist or do we all make it back to God in the end? This week we're talking with Matthew Challenge, a man who has been through deconstruction He's been through the refining fire himself and come out the other side. He talks about how he deconstructed hell and what his understanding of it is now. We go into quite a bit of conversation about what hell actually is talking of in the Bible, what Jesus is referencing and how we've mistranslated his words, and how peace and grace is much stronger of a message than fear. We are for the spiritual nomads, the outcasts, and the ones who desire to ask the hard questions. A shelter in the desert. A safe place to share our thoughts, our hopes, and our dreams. We are pursuing the truth, and we don't care about the downsides. We invite you to come and sit at our table and be a part of our tribe. We are brave. We are bold. We are the Reckless Pursuit. Hey everyone, welcome to The Reckless Pursuit. My name is Cody. And my name is Elaine. And this is episode 77. Today we have on a new friend of ours, Matthew Challoner. Matthew, honestly, we came across him through a friend of a friend on Facebook. His very first post was exactly what the title of this episode is. It was talking about hell and deconstructing hell and the beliefs behind hell. So in this episode, we just go into uh, some of the the depths. Is that can you use the word depths when you're talking about hell? Is that appropriate? Yes, absolutely. I I think depths is very appropriate cool. so for this we're conversation. Gonna, yeah, and there's some uh, playing of devil's advocate. I'm sorry, I got to stop with the puns. <sighs> Stick a fork in me. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm done. So yeah, but seriously, Matthew uh, just presents some great points. He he shares his story. He shares just uh, what brought on his deconstruction, some alternate views of hell, and really he drops a statistic that is absolutely mind-blowing, kind of about mid-conversation. So I cannot encourage you enough. If, you, if the conversation of hell has ever intrigued you, it has ever... Um, calls you Scared fear, you. Yeah, yeah, anything like that. This statistic in and of itself is worth hearing. So what the hell? Stay around. Okay, I'm done. That was it. Okay, let's get to the conversation with Matthew Challoner. Hey everyone, welcome to the Reckless Pursuit. We are sitting here with Matthew Challoner. Matthew, how are you? Doing very well, thank you. How are you? Doing well. And okay, so Matthew, um, I don't even know how we found you. I guess like a friend of a friend through Facebook. And the very first thing I ever saw that you shared was literally like this expansive post on hell and almost like just deconstructing hell. And it caught my uh, it caught my attention. And so I added you. And like I've really enjoyed following mm-hmm. all of your work. So this is just a plug. Um, Matthew's not here to like plug a book or anything just yet. And so I just want to tell you all, like, go find him if you just need, like, a refreshing I think I word. like everything that you post on Facebook. <laughs> That's fun. That's great. Love it. Matthew, tell us a little about your story. Um, what's your church background? And uh, just kind of bringing us up to where you're at now. Well, for me, I was raised Baptist and just kind of, like, hid behind my, my parents' faith. I just I was kind of just cool with just 
inheriting beliefs, I guess. And then when I got to the ripe old age of probably 21, I fell away and hit a bit of a party scene. And then after I discovered the father's love and he reached out to me and I, I don't know, I kind of rededicated myself back to, back to him. I, I came back into the church and studied a bachelor of ministry at a Baptist theological college here in Brisbane, Australia. And after that, I kind of had some supernatural and miraculous experiences that kind of led me more into the charismatic stream. And from there, I, I've just been, I've had my last three years at Bethel Church, California, um, doing the school there. And now I'm back in Australia and in some deconstruction. So what would you say brought on deconstruction for you? Well, the triggering factor was when I got into a relationship with my now fiance. I didn't actually realize how many bad beliefs I had until I extreme chest pain one morning and passed out or blacked out from the pain and ended up in hospital for three nights for what seemed like a heart attack. But that I, I had to have an angiogram there where they scanned my heart while I was there. and. They saw my heart was perfect, so it was pretty much stress-related that I put it down to. So, so at that point, I was like, okay, what am I believing? Why am I believing it? What's extra? What's biblical? And how much of this can I sift through and throw out? So that was where deconstruction started for me. I'm like, wow, I have some real bad core beliefs about the Father, about myself, and about all these other well, at the start, it was really only deconstructing in the area of relationships and surrounding the idea of the one and this whole pressure that gets put in church culture that says there's you have to wait for God's appointed mate. Like if you, and then you see people, if you marry the wrong one, you're going to screw your future and you're done, really. Yeah, so that was probably the starting point for me. Yeah, I've been noticing you've been posting a little bit about that lately, uh, rousing up a few feathers on that one. I completely get it. The whole idea, I don't even know, like maybe not specifically relationships, but the whole idea of like any little thing you do, God is always waiting to, like that's going to be the thing that throws you yeah, out of his getting will. Getting off right? course, questioning anything, any small mistake. God's like, oh no, you can't come to heaven. Specifically with um, the topic at hand today, and like I said, this is the very first post I ever saw that you had. Uh, it was just talking about hell. And hell is something that I have always struggled with, I guess. The idea of if God created everything, then ultimately God's sending people to burn forever. Like there's like the one that my mind always wants to go back to. So what made you deconstruct the idea of hell? And maybe what were your original beliefs on it? Well, I think when it comes to hell, I think a lot of people, well, it's not really talked about. Because I think it gets stuffed down because the idea of an eternal um, conscious torment, I think for a lot of people, like, is, is a scary topic because it's just like, we have to keep this bottled away. So we're not going to talk about it. So it's just kind of ignored. And I think you come to this thing called cognitive dissonance, or it's just like these two opposing ideas of the goodness of God and then... You see in Corinthians, love keeps no records of wrongs and God is love. On Jesus saying, forgive and love your enemies. And then it's like, but I'm going to burn mine forever. 
So it's like these two opposing ideas that I think a lot of people struggle with, so they just don't talk about health. And the point that started deconstruction in this area was for me is generally, I'm not like paying out evangelists, but an, an evangelist, evangelists are more probably prone to, to preach a, a harsher truth, I think. Uh, it's probably just the way they wire, like don't water it down, like bang, 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 like, but a lot. I sort of, well, and they have the the freedom of leaving. Yeah, yeah. And I think the thing that triggered it for me was when I saw an evangelist post, guys, please accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior or you'll be um, tortured in hell by demons for all eternity. And, and I was just like, that sounds like, like maybe I was already at a point of thinking about it and kind of deconstructing it in my mind. But at that, I just read the post and it did nothing for me in the, like in a spiritual sense. I just looked at it and I was just like, that is so much bias and thrusting your own views into the text that it's, it's like not even funny. So that's when I was kind of like, okay, what does is, what is like the Bible really teach about hell? Yeah, I'm just like, it's just so apparent that there is just so much bias just thrust into things. So where do you think churches kind of cross that line of uh, where do you think those biases come from? I kind of think it's just come from tradition. And I, I, like I said, I don't think people like look into it and study it because I think they think they're in Christ. So what's the point of studying it? It's just this kind of like this uglier side that we can just push down. Um, like it doesn't actually need to be talked about because we're all good because we're in the in club. <laughs> like and that that makes us safe so there's not really a need to talk about it it's just an inherited thing that gets passed down but never actually looked into because i think as soon as people start asking questions you get labeled um churches might see you as a backslider they might think these are unhealthy questions we need to squash them like it's, it's kind of what the podcast is about right i mean mm-hmm. asking yeah. like unsafe questions in a safe mm-hmm. way Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And hell's an interesting one. I feel like hell can be used two different ways, right? It can be used as like the celebratory tool for the the Christians who are like, oh yeah, we don't have to worry about hell. We're saved. Like it's kind of that whole, like you said, the in club mentality, but then also it's easily used as kind of more of a, a fear tactic to try to coax people into church. And because I mean, what better, there's like two primal emotions, right? You People are typically respond best to either fear or to comfort. So like hell, like eternal torment is a pretty much as bad as it could get. So of course it's an easy thing to, to kind of use. Yeah. I think people are kind of like dumbed down to the idea. Like if you really think about being tortured for all eternity in fire and in brimstone, like that shouldn't sit well with us. And I think it should cause, a lot more questions than it is so i think i think people are like people are speaking about it but the majority of more majority of people aren't majority of people probably just wrestle with the idea in private but i think it should cause more of a stir than it actually does because i think we've heard the story of eternal torment for so long we've lost the impact of what it would actually mean it's interesting to me because whenever I go back and forth with people now, like with my new view of hell or what have you, uh, or really anything, 
just the way I try to resolve is like, does that make sense for God's character? Does that make sense for Jesus's character? And so many people have kind of responded. Like I made a, a status that was like, um, we're not born sinners, right? Which is, I think we did, we talked about that in one of our podcast episodes. Like we're born into like a world that has a nature of sin, but that doesn't mean you're born instantaneously as this sinner, dark, lost soul, right? And so people find comfort in these things. They find comfort in things like hell because it's like they're being saved from something. And that's like the foundation of their faith is I'm being saved from eternal torment. And one of the biggest things with hell that like I really want people to be challenged to is to look at it of instead of looking at everything as, yay, I'm not saved or like I'm not having to burn, look at it more of through the eyes of grace, through the eyes of love of like, your relationship with Jesus, to me, if it's based off of a fear of burning to death, that's a really sucky relationship. <laughs> like, Absolutely. Yeah, like if I had a relationship with my wife and the only reason I, you know, I loved Elaine was because if I didn't love her, she was going to like stick a lighter to me every night. That would be a terrible, like it's a really abusive yeah. relationship. Yeah. And I feel like Christ is more loving than that. What what do you think about that? Like, what do you think about the whole idea of people just kind of um, grabbing onto that fear and and how can we transition out of uh, finding comfort in that versus finding comfort in who Christ is? Yeah, well, that's actually the biggest thing that didn't make sense to me when I started deconstructing hell. Not even throwing out the idea of like death and annihilation in the sense of of like like that, like you know, like not eternal hell, but ceasing to exist, like bang, done, destruction in one go. The biggest thing that I, people were saying is if eternal torment's not a thing, then why would I leave my life of sin and leave my past? Or like, if like, what are we saved from if not hell as in specifically eternal torment? Then it's just like, well, you're just... That's, you're just treating Jesus like he's either fire insurance or he's your golden ticket into Candyland. Like there, it's like you can't like. Can you really not see the value in your salvation, like purely in Jesus? Like I mean, united to Him, being one spirit with Him, you experience this wonderful, beautiful unity with the Father. And you experience this whole new life where you walk in a freedom and a peace and a joy that just exceeds anything that the world could ever give you. And it's like there's so much beauty in being united to the life of Christ. It's sad when it's like, what's the point if he didn't save you from roasting for all eternity, from like an eternal famous Dave, so you just barbecued 24-7. It's like, mm, yeah, like... <laughs> Like, that just doesn't sit right with me at all. Yeah, I agree. I think that's probably one of the the biggest things that, like, I wish I could express to people is just letting people understand, like, no, if you truly feel Christ, like, you don't need the fear of hell. Like, that goes away. A lot of people like to kind of throw up, well, Jesus talks about hell. What are some of the practical things that maybe you have got out of that and kind of more accurate representations or understandings of what Jesus was talking about? I think we need to look at like what the Jews thought about all of that, right? So Jesus was speaking to Jewish people. He was speaking to the Jews. He came like for the Jews first. And 
you see the context in who he's talking to. He's talking to religious leaders. And he, the word hell never came out of Jesus' mouth. The word Gehenna did and used the word Hades as well. Gehenna in itself, the word that Jesus used, was a literal garbage dump outside of Jerusalem where bodies would burn. And the whole Matthew 24, Matthew like 25, was all about Matthew 24 being the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in AD 70. And we missed the fact that Jesus' first, first application of this, because I think people want to like layer it, but his, Jesus' intended meaning was, hey, this temple is going to be torn down. And essentially is saying Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. And there was literally 1.1 million Jews burned in the valley of Hinnom or Gehenna um, after the temple was destroyed. It was a literal place where mass bodies were burned. So talking, you said uh, also you mentioned, he had mentioned Hades, right? So what is that referencing? Hades is just the grave. So Hades is the Greek word for what Sheol is in, in Hebrew. So they were kind of like the Greek translation for the same thing. And you see it in Ecclesiastes and Job and like all these passages that are referring to Hades or Sheol as a grave where the righteous and the unrighteous go. And it's, and it's almost like, I think it's like debated whether like they were conscious or unconscious there. Like Paul talks about sleep. If hell isn't a lake of fire and I'm playing, I don't know, is devil's advocate the right word? I feel like that's not appropriate. <laughs> okay. We're going to say it's devil's <laughs> advocate. So <Yeah. laughs> since we're talking about hell, mm-hmm. um, I left my pitchfork in the closet, but uh, <laughs> so if it's not a literal lake of fire, you kind of um, had mentioned this just a second ago, but what are some of the alternate views of what hell might be in like the spiritual sense? Well, Revelation in itself, the book that mentions a lake of fire is a highly symbolic book. If we go, oh, it's all symbolic, but the lake of fire, that's literal. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just like, well, you have to apply it to this, the same thing, right? Even Revelation talks about the lake of fire being the second death where death and Hades, the grave, is swallowed up forever. My view of hell is this. Like, I never see eternal torment. I never see, well, for one, I never see hell being created in the, the Genesis account. You think if eternal torment was a thing, it would probably should be mentioned that, that hell was made. And then you see, like, God saying to Adam, like, you'll surely die. And he also says later, from dust you came and from dust you'll return. You see, like, Jesus came so that we wouldn't perish, that we would have eternal life. And Jesus came to save us from sin and death. Like, from the Jewish perspective, they really never believed in an eternal or a mortal soul or even a resurrection outside of their Messiah. So I think the Greek idea of an, uh, an immortal soul was adopted into the church early on by Oregon. Like that, I, if your soul's not eternal and immortal outside of Christ, how could there be an eternal hell? So basically, in essence, if you're a Christian or if you're an atheist, you're right about your destination. Yeah, well, essentially, you cease to exist. Well, I guess uh, annihilationism is, I'm, pr- I'm sure you know what it is, but it's like, those that are in Christ are raised imperishable unto eternal life. 
and those who are not in Christ. I don't know if they experience a Gehenna moment, like in a, in a spiritual sense, if there is a lake of fire, but there is just like a, like a ceasing to exist, being swallowed up. I just don't see any grounds for an eternal torment. I think there are some verses that would say day and night or unquenchable fire or everlasting, like all these words that people get, I don't know, the idea of something, something being eternal, but like a lot of it's hyperbole. A lot of it's like this exaggerated prophetic language. What kind of backlash have you gotten from these views? Because I know you're, you're always on Facebook posting things and not just about hell, but just like yeah, everything about yeah, general, deconstruction, yeah. faith, religion. Like what, what feedback or backlash have you received for sharing your views? I was pretty surprised when I was called a vile serpent. Like I've never been called that before. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm like, oh, like, chill, dude. Like, <laughs> it's all good. Like, why do you? <laughs> yeah, that's intense. <laughs> yeah, it's like literally the most intense thing you could say to someone, vile serpent. Yeah. But I don't know. I just, you just kind of, it just kind of makes you deconstruct all the more because it's like when you see that kind of stuff come out, like when views are challenged, you're like, all right, well, you don't like questions or discussions and like you're going to name calling. It's almost like the hate and the venom kind of comes out when something's challenged. You kind of just, I don't know, just kind of feel sorry really for them. Not to like say I'm better than them or anything like that, but it, I don't know. When you have to resort to like name calling and stuff, it's you can see some insecurity there. <laughs> I think we get we get super caught up on literal everything. I think we can get so caught up. You know, it's interesting that we construct these views, right? We have these views, and they're just interpretations. Yeah. Like, we take these readings. Everyone, every... De- I mean, there wouldn't be denominations. There wouldn't be divisions amongst the church. There wouldn't be different translations of the Bible if we didn't have a different interpretation of those original texts. Mm-hmm. Yet, when someone comes with something... As simple as this. I mean, honestly, like, let's think about it. Hell in and of itself, it's a pretty simple concept. It's it's a very, like, it's borrowed from many different religions, especially with, like, Greek mythology and Zoroastrianism. Like, it pulls from a lot of these different religions. And we kind of sit here and we're focused on this doctrine we've created maybe in, like, the late 1800s. I don't know. It's not even, like, that old of a doctrine that we believe this, right? And yet we defend it to like our core because it's something we grew up with. What has been the hardest, or let me ask you this. This is a good transition here. Who was God to you before you deconstructed and who is God to you now? Well, before I deconstructed, uh, I guess there are some places where you like read the Bible and you're like, oh, just these two competing views. Like, I don't think, I don't think my relationship with God has changed in like incredibly, because I never really thought about hell before I deconstructed. Um, I guess now I just, ha- I have a deeper appreciation for Jesus' work. He came to give that we would have eternal life. He came that we could, his kingdom could come and invade earth now, and we could be united to his life now and see this world impacted by the kingdom of God. And I think something that was huge for me is, I've in this season, like I'm just being wrecked and undone by the love of the father. Like that is something. Yeah. That's probably the, the one of the hugest things for me at the moment. It's just receiving the love of the father 
on deeper levels and just seeing how like radically good he is and that he's not actually this bipolar monster god that says forgive your enemies but I'll, I might roast mine for all eternity or <laughs> love keeps no records of wrongs and God is love. But you know what? I keep everyone's record. <laughs> I read it to them on the last day and shame them and some I'll burn for eternity. And yeah, it's, uh, it's just, I don't know. I just see that it's almost like a clearer picture of God. Like the father looks exactly like Jesus. Jesus is the exact representation of the nature of the father. There's not all these different pictures of God that I'm trying to like reconcile. It's more just like, I just, I don't know. I just want to receive his love. I love how you said you had a clearer view because one of my, with deconstructing like some of my beliefs, the thing that keeps coming back to me is removing lenses. We have the lens of the church. We have the lens of our parents. We have the lens of our friends. We have the lens of our culture. And like you said, a clearer view. And to me, that is what deconstruction is. It's just, it's taking a clearer view of God. And I love that. What uh, what was one of the hardest parts about deconstruction just overall for you? Well, I think it's hard, like, when you deconstruct. I mean, like, these, these really deep core beliefs that you've had your whole life and you've grown up in, and when they start to get shaken, it's, it's like, well, where's my foundation now? Yeah, I mean, if you're deconstructing from all these things that you once believed, you have to, like, anchor yourself to something. I think something that C.S. Lewis said was so good is like, if you see through everything, you see nothing. And I was just like, There's, there has to be something for me to bite down on. And I think this is where deconstruction can go, I don't know, one way or the other. Like de- deconstruction, I think, well, I felt like God actually gave me a like a picture, like a prophetic picture, like a little while ago. And it I saw this big painting of God and God was like, like, you know, in a suit and you see all these different like makeup on him and Jesus came and he started to wipe away all these other things on the face of this portrait of God that I was looking at. So I was like, okay, I'm, I'm stripping away all the way that all the way that politics has influenced your idea of God, how nationalism has affected your idea of God, how this particular denomination has affected your view of God. I think deconstruction is done well when we don't lose Jesus and his good father. Like we are just scrubbing away all these bad beliefs that we've been raised in and never questioned before. Because really there is, for every person out there, there's a God out there, like even amongst Christians. Like you've got dramatic polar opposites of beliefs. You got like Mark Driscoll on one side, Greg Boyd on the other. And it's like, it would be being intellectually dishonest with ourselves if we think that there should be one interpretation. Well, it's clearly not that way. How did deconstruction impact your relationship with some of your friends and family? Was was it like for you specifically, what was your uh, your experience with that? Well, it was actually really, really good. So when I talked about it, I realized that they had kind of been thinking it anyway. My family, I, my parents and stuff would be more set in their ways, but they they kind of heard some of my views and they're like, oh, they just kind of admitted that they hadn't looked into it themselves. So they don't know. They couldn't really say anything. My brother, when I told him about my my views of hell, he was kind of like referring 
referring me to other like lecturers who were in who were lecturing apologetics classes at my college who work for people like Ravi Zacharias that have actually the same view of hell as me. And I've actually been seeing in, in the Baptist world and other denominations as well that annihilationism and conditional immortality, as it's called, is actually becoming a widely, I don't know, it's becoming a more widely accepted view anyway. It's not as much widely accepted within charismatic. Yeah, I think um, it's funny too because charismatics are the ones that you would think would adopt things a little easier because they're so like they have so much of that kind of practice in them anyway. But I guess um, literal physical, what's the right word? Literal physical or like literal spiritual things. If there is such thing as a literal spiritual thing, I guess they're easier for them to grab on to. <laughs> But I would definitely say that deconstruction is becoming more mainstream yeah. as we allow ourselves, we're a generation allowing ourselves to ask these things. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. Like there are some leaders publicly deconstructing. I don't know if you heard of Joshua Harris. In, in, I have. He wrote the yes. book, I Stating Goodbye, I think it was. Oh, yeah. He's in a lot of hot water right now over that. Yeah. Over his whole deconstruction stuff. Yeah, he's going going through that. Honestly, I think a lot of people are going through it. Um, I think there may even be people in church leadership that are going through it that don't want to say anything because you would lose position, you would lose influence. Like it, it does have its implications with it. Like if you go through it and you are public about it, like it's not going to be received well by everyone. Like a lot of people think you're backsliding, but to you it's yeah. growth. <laughs> so yeah, <right. laughs> it's just like people think you're backsliding and people hold all these different assumptions about who you are. They'll even assume things about you while not knowing your story. And that's probably one of the things I, I like the least about the process is people can really like, they'll assume you're backsliding. They'll assume that you're losing your faith when in reality your faith's kind of being purified and all this extra stuff is just being cut away. I don't know, for some reason in my head, it reminds me of the, I don't even know what Bible verse is talking like a refining fire. And I don't know, like the image of hell comes up in my head of that, of like, maybe that in essence is hell on earth is like, we're being purified to be more like Christ. I don't know. I'm getting weird with that. But anyway, so. Yeah, I think fire, fire is used a lot in scripture in a purifying sense. There are some people that point out the verse in Revelation where it will burn day and night in the presence of the lamb. And... I, I don't know. I'm like, well, if I believed that someone was going to burn day and night in the presence of God for all eternity, I'm just like, well, how would I? I would probably <laughs> probably end up holding a view closer to like universal reconciliation because, I mean, I don't think you could resist the love and goodness of God for all eternity. I think one day every knee really would bow and tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Even, the, even some Jews hold to that, man. They, they believe in a one-year, 12-month process of purgation where they believe that you, in Sheol or like there's this, or in Gehenna or they say Gehenna, you enter this process where you, they actually call hell the kindness of God because this fire is actually purifying and cleansing souls. And at the end of this purgation process, the purified souls go to heaven or those who are utterly wicked get just destroyed. Like those who um, aren't actually purified by the fire. So it's, it's interesting to see like the different 
the different views that can kind of come along with it. I'm not afraid of questions. Like when people say universal reconciliation, like I'm not in that place, obviously, but I mean, I'm not afraid of people asking those questions at all. Well, and the, and the beauty of that is we can all ask questions the rest of our lives and we're all going to be wrong. And that's like... Absolutely. <laughs> and when you kind of frame it that way, it takes away a lot of the scariness of it. Yeah. It does. Like the only hate you might cop from Christians, which it shouldn't be that way at all. But yeah, I think questions are a great thing. Questions like we can't... I know I posted about this recently about deconstruction, but the church has to have real authentic answers. The church has got to stop saying to people, like diagnosing them that something's wrong or accuse them of not taking scripture seriously or accuse them of not liking a particular belief. So you just decide to throw it away, cherry pick it, throw it away and embrace heresy. It's like the church has to stop doing that because they're just going to lose members like crazy. Well, and you know, something that's interesting about what you just said, churches do the very same thing. Churches cherry pick Bible verses. Every single church cherry picks Bible verses. We all do that to some extent. And I'm not trying to justify it. What I'm saying is it's it's about interpretation, right? Like there are plenty of churches that view this aspect and this church over here thinks that church is going to hell because they do that. While this church thinks that church is going to hell for something they're doing. Like it's, it's kind of humorous and sad at the same time. I don't know. But and I think deconstruction gives you a stand back perspective where you can you see these different things happening and it just doesn't make sense. You know what I mean? It's like deconstruction I think offers perspective. So you're not actually caught in the middle of us and them mentality where politics is kind of like invaded and it's like let's divide and say you're out and I'm in because it makes me feel comfortable, it makes me feel safe. I think deconstruction allows you to kind of take take a step back and look at all these different things happening and going, oh, but you can't see the hypocrisy. Like you're actually doing the same thing. And yeah, I saw, I heard a statistic, 28% of the unchurched, their first problem with not engaging Christianity is the idea of a good God torturing people in hell forever. That's a huge statistic. Like that's coming on like a third of people that's then. And, and there might be like the biggest was the idea of homosexuality, but you never know those people in that large chunk, their second biggest problem could have been with the idea of an eternal hell. So it's, it's questions that we should be asking, like, because I think it does have enormous implications like on the gospel, like people aren't even engaging with Jesus and our awesomely good, amazing father, just because this eternal hell, which is hugely open to interpretation is so dogmatically held onto. Yeah. I don't know. I think we need to rethink hell. And I think that goes right back with what we were talking about toward the beginning of this episode of when you can fall in love with who Jesus is and it's no longer this, Oh, it's my golden ticket. Right. Like you were saying, that change, like that's literally, that ideology is what's keeping, you know, a large, large percentage of people who have never stepped foot, never darkened the drawers, never wanted anything to do with Christianity as a whole. That's the defining thing that's keeping them back. And we're allowing that, the thing that we don't even know, we don't even take the time to study, the thing that we don't even truly understand. And, And the other thing is, why are we operating so much out of that fear? 
if we were true if we were truly afraid right like if we were that the fear if we were truly afraid of people burning in hell why are we letting hell be the thing that keeps them from coming in the church you would think that would almost be something we'd be sensitive enough if that was real to say hey maybe that shouldn't be how we start this conversation we overemphasize hell and underemphasize God's love and the freedom in asking questions. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, if I read scripture anyway, like the 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 amount of scriptures that are about life in Christ and you've died and you're now a new creation and now you're living your life to God or Jesus overcame sin and death. I don't see hell in genesis i don't see god saying you ate the apple now everyone will burn in hell for all eternity like he said you will surely die like i don't know i just see in i don't see eternal hell in a in a constant theme in scripture there may be this idea of like this eternal thing like in the odd symbolic passage but it's the weight is hugely on like i don't i don't even see like the apostles in acts preaching like in any of the sermons, I never see them. You need, where are you going when you die? Where are you spending eternity? I had this conversation with someone online literally a week ago, and they were saying how if you looked at Jesus's words, he mentioned hell way more than he mentioned anything related to life. And so I did a little research and anything pertaining to death, not even hell, just death in general, Jesus mentioned maybe 60 times. And life was almost 200. It was in the 190s. And like Jesus was way more focused on life. And most of those pertaining to death, he was actually reframing in the phrase of life. And so like Jesus was way more um, compassionate towards spreading the message of life than he was death. Yeah. And I mean, even the times he did speak about death or a Gehenna, like it kind of should make us nervous because he never threatened anyone with it except for the religious leaders. The, the people, he spoke about hell or Gehenna the most to the people who were on their religious high horse and created us and them groups. He didn't want them to like heal the downtrodden on the Sabbath or the sick. Yeah, it's, these, it's the religious leaders <laughs> were the ones that hell was directed towards. It was never someone like the woman caught in adultery. It's like, it should make... The Christian's nervous. <laughs> and it's like, oh, but yeah, Jesus spoke about hell more than anyone. And it's like, well, who's he talking to? I'll be very wary about creating us and them groups, oppressing people, because that's what it's all about. I mean, one of the things that people brought up a lot was the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Like, that was a huge thing, actually, that people were bringing up. And well, who was Jesus talking to? It's like, okay, he was talking to the disciples with the Pharisees in earshot. It's funny, like, people take that parable and they use it to confirm their hell doctrine because it talks about, okay, the rich man, he goes to hell, which is actually Hades anyway, not Gehenna. And the poor man, Lazarus, goes to Abraham's bosom. And we use it as a confirmation for our hell doctrine rather than actually using the parable for its intended meaning, because one, it is a parable. Two, Jesus is actually saying, if you have the means to help the downtrodden, the oppressed in this life, you should. Like that's, It's about the oppressed. It's about taking care of people who are less fortunate, really. 
like that's the whole intended meaning, but we kind of bypass that and we we make it about okay, no, there's a literal Hades and then there's a literal Abraham's bosom and there's a chasm in between. But the thing is, it's just like people think it means hell and the final judgment. I'm like, if it meant hell and the final judgment, why the hell does the rich man want to go and warn his brothers? Because if it was the final judgment, he wouldn't have brothers to warn. And and it's like it was also a folk tale that was widely spread in rabbinic tradition and Egyptian tradition. There were these common stories floating around in that day where there would always be a reversal of fortunes in the afterlife. It would always be if you're rich in this life, you'll be poor in the next. Or if you're poor in this, you'll be rich in the next. And in those tales, there would always be someone who wants to return from the dead to warn people. So it was already a common story. That blew my mind. Okay, cool. Now I got some research to do. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's this big thing. Like people say, oh, what about the rich man Lazarus? Like, and it's like, well, it's actually about taking care of the oppressed. Like if you have the means to, and even if you were to take Jesus words, literally, it doesn't give the picture of a final eternal hell destination. So what would you ask people who are deconstructing hell and the idea of hell and what they're going through? What would you ask them? To assist in their deconstruction? Yeah. Yeah. I would say not to move to another point of fundamentalism because I think so often when we deconstruct, we pendulum swing to the other side and we're just, we're kind of just as religious and just as fun, (laughs) just as much as a fundamentalist, but we're just on the other side of the spectrum. I mean, the fact is none of us can be clear about the the afterlife. Like as soon as someone thinks they're a hundred percent on what happens after death, probably not someone who's asking questions. And I'll just say for people in deconstruction, like don't, don't lose Jesus. Keep, I don't know, let it like push you towards a good and loving father that was revealed perfectly in Jesus. Because so often like people deconstruct, 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 and then they end up kind of somewhere in agnosticism and they kind of lose, lose their faith a bit. And it's like, well, Jesus is true life. It's yeah, we, we don't want to lose that part. So where can people find you if they want to um, follow what you have to say? Because I would recommend it. Yes. <laughs> well, they can follow, they can find my page, Matthew Chalinor on Facebook. I'm the one that has all the, the debates. <laughs> <laughs> and if you look, for, look, search Vile Serpent. No, not really. You won't. <laughs> you won't find me. We'll link you up in the comments below. Or in the, excuse in the me, we'll link you up in the show yeah. notes below. Yeah. But anyway, Matthew, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really enjoyed the conversation and I look forward to uh, everyone else's conversation on the other end. Yeah, no, that sounds great. Thanks for having me, guys. And it's always like such a joy to chat to you guys. We just want to thank Matthew again for joining us and being vulnerable, sharing his story of deconstruction. If you're going through deconstruction, I cannot encourage you enough to head down there to the comment section below. Not only find Matthew, because he offers some amazing insight. Honestly, like this guy drops some truth bombs like nobody's business. But we also want to just give you a humble invite to Nomads. It is a safe place for Christians to ask unsafe questions. There are so many voices in this group who are there to encourage you through this journey. And we just want to join together to deeper understand who God is beyond the lenses. I also just want to say that if you are questioning, whether it's hell, religion, your relationship with God, if you're just deconstructing everything that you've ever believed in, I just want you to know that you are not alone. And 
that God isn't afraid of your questions. God is bigger. The truth is bigger. The truth is out there. That is so much bigger than your your doubts and fears. Like Cody said, like we have our nomads group. We follow Matthew on Facebook, but there are people out there who want to just bring you inside and, and just help give you that peace of mind of you're not alone in your thoughts. You're not alone in your questions. And you're not crazy. No, you're not crazy whatsoever. The crazy people are the ones who proclaim that they have all the answers. Right. Quick shout out for my new podcast, Itinerant. You can find that at itinerantpodcast.com. We explore some of those more deeper, intricate aspects um, from outside of the perspective of the Bible. So if you're into history and campfire stories, you should go and find that. Also, keep an open ear for Elaine's new podcast dropping in November. Is that right? Yes, November. Okay, so if you are a lady and you are into business or mindset, spirituality, all of that encompassed in one place. Yes. So that will be coming your way also. And the last thing is all of this stuff and more and Matthew's final five. Don't forget about Matthew's final five. That is part of our email list. So head over to the recklesspursuit.com forward slash subscribe join and get all the behind the scenes content personalized uh content that goes out just to that group of people and that's where you can get matthew's final five as well we love you guys and as always be brave be bold and be reckless we'll We'll talk talk soon. soon